Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Well, I'm excited for um, this week to be an end, at an end because it's March break and all the parents say, yes, amen, let's have our kids go back to school. It was, it's crazy. But uh, I'm excited to be here again and be able to preach with you um, today. And so, um, thanks a lot. We're going to continue in our series. Last week, if you weren't here, I'm going to quickly just recap. We looked at a passage in Scripture um, from the Beatitude, or from uh, Sermon at the Mount in uh, in Matthew six. So, if you want to turn with me, go ahead back. We're going to go back to Matthew six twenty five through thirty four. And we talked last week. Really simple. The Coles notes of this is is Jesus is saying to us, "Don't worry." Trust God. And we talked about how simple that sounds, but actually how difficult that is. And we talked about how this is the kingdom exchange that exists. And actually, that the kingdom exchange is a supernatural exchange that already happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he actually won all of these things in the kingdom for us that we actually just need to receive. And part of that is that we don't need to worry and we need to trust. But how difficult is that? Anyone? That is incredibly difficult. And so today we're gonna look at the same passage. So if you wanna turn with me, we're gonna be starting in verse 25. Now again, we're coming in this huge passage of scripture. Um, It's it's cut up into a couple chapters, but it's actually just Jesus teaching a whole lot of stuff. And it's kind of like his big debut celebration party. And he is coming on the scene and he's teaching things that people have never heard before. You have to remember at this point, there hasn't been a prophet for 400 years until John the Baptist shows up. He proclaims that Jesus is gonna come and then Jesus steps on the scene and he begins to teach like no one's ever heard before. Remember, they just had Pharisees. Pharisees just taught the law and they taught it very religiously and very, very traditionally and they had lots of rules and it was just about following the rules and whoever followed them best was best and and that's how you really got into heaven. But Jesus comes and he flips everything. This is the kingdom, right? The kingdom is upside down. And so he comes on the scene and he says this. In verse 25, that is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have food, drink, or enough clothes to wear, instead, or isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in a barn for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worrying add a single moment to your life? Let's just really sink this in. Can all your worrying add a single moment to your life? Again, these are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field 
and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And here's the, this is the verse for our week this week. That was all last week. That was all. Don't worry, trust God. This week is seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Has anybody ever told you how to do something? They kind of walk you through the steps and then they say these famous words. It's easy. Anyone? You know, they're just like, okay, so here's the steps. You just do this, then this, then this, and just move it like this, and then it's just, it's easy. I remember I was, I was we had this great opportunity, my wife and I, um, when we were in our 20s, and we got to be part of a team that went to Katrina 30 days after the hurricane, actually went to New Orleans, after Katrina, the hurricane, hit New Orleans, and we were the first team to be able to serve in the Ninth Ward. It was an incredible opportunity to help people in, in unbelievable need. And I remember I went there and I was ready to serve and I was ready to do whatever anybody needed for me to help. And they said, hey, is anyone 21 and have a driver's license? I hit those categories right here. They're like, okay, come with us. We need you just to drive. I'm like, cool. We need supplies driven around. That's a pretty easy job. You'll spend most of the day in the car. It's cool. All right, this is good. Air conditioning. This is actually pretty good in, in the South. I like it. So I took it. I'm like, three-hour drive to the, to the supply center. Somewhere along the line, I started thinking. I've been in trucks before. Or no, sorry, at this point I was like, oh yeah, the van. I'm like, okay, it'll be a shipment van. He's like, okay, so you're gonna be driving a truck. I went, hmm, truck. I've been in trucks before and they're not manual. They're, they're not automatic, they're usually manual. I don't know how to drive a manual. I'm like, uh, just, just throwing it out there. Are these trucks automatic? <laughs> They're like, nah. Of course, the guy in charge, right? They never care. They're like, nah, I, don't, I don't actually know. It doesn't really matter. It matters. <laughs> to me, it matters. So I'm like, to my, to my good friend beside me, I'm like, dude, I don't know how to drive stick. He's like, ha, guess you're going to learn. Thanks a lot. Don't be that friend. Don't be that friend. You know you, we all have one. Don't be that friend. And so literally, I'm like freaking out. We get to the shipment center. It took three hours to get there. And, and the first thing I do, I don't greet anyone. I run to the, van, to the truck. And this is like the, big, the largest truck you can drive without a, a trucking license. And up to this point, I've driven an F-150, a Ford F-150. That's the largest car I've ever driven. So I run up, I look. And it's automatic. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Literally, I'm like praying in the, in, in, the, in the car on the way over. I'm like, 
When I'm in really big need, I don't pray. I'm not like, hey, God. I'm like, dad, dad. I'm like, just trying to like pull the father heart of God. I'm like, dad, please, automatic. You gotta save this brother. He's gonna be in big, big trouble. And so luckily it's automatic. I'm like, sweet, I'm out of the woods. Sure, it's a big truck, but what could possibly go wrong? So they, uh, they instruct us, here's what you're gonna do. They tell us where we're going. I've never been anywhere in New Orleans and I'm driving four hours somewhere. I'm like, cool, what's the worst that could happen? I'm 21, nothing can faze me, right? And so I'm in the truck and I'm like, cool. They give us our shipment, they give us our map because it was before GPS time. And we're like, okay, so I'm on the road. And so I pull out, I'm like, okay, this is good. And then I start driving. I start hitting like, you know, some more speed, like 30, 40, 50 miles an hour. And my truck starts going like this. I'm like, what is happening right now? I'm like, okay, it's just settling. It's just settling. I'm like, he said this would be easy. I promise you this would be easy. And so here I am, I'm like, and so I'm on the highway, like the freeway. And I'm, I'm hitting, my foot is all the way down, like all the way down. And I'm going 55, like I have nothing. And I'm shaking like just convulsing. I'm like, what, this is not right. So bad that I'm like, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I pull off and I stop at this, this restaurant and I just start walking up to truckers. I'm like, hey, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but this truck just keeps on shaking. They looked at me like I was completely insane. They had like, they're like, I don't know, man, maybe you have diesel in your engine. I'm like, that doesn't help me. So like no help from them. So I get back in this truck and literally for the next, the next four hours, it actually took me six hours to get where I was going. I am convulsing driving. I'm like, this is gonna, this is terrible. And then it, the worst part of it is at New Orleans, I guess they have this really high skyway. And I literally go from 55, which is max down to 35 because it can't quite push it up this thing. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. That's what I'm gonna happen. And so I'm like, I'm convulsing. Finally, I get there. The guy gets upset at me because I'm late. I'm like, dude, are you crazy? Do you know what I've been through? He's like, look, it was an easy drive. I'm like, it was mostly freeway. I'm like, you don't even know. And then he opened up the back and some of the stuff moved around. He's like, what the heck happened? I'm like, you don't even wanna know. But have you ever been there, right? Like, it's, it's so true that people, people who know what to do say, oh, it's easy. Until your truck is convulsing and you're like, I have no idea. Come to find out, you need to turn, take off the e-brake when you're... <laughs> Don't judge me, okay? <laughs> Don't judge me. We're in church. This is a judge-free zone, okay? Oh... Mark's a truck driver. He's totally lost respect for me now. <laughs> and so once I took the e-brake off, then it was easy. I could drive around. It was so fun. Oh. But so often, don't you feel like sometimes as preachers we do that? Like sometimes we, we say things like, you know, here's the Coles notes of what Jesus is saying in this. He's saying, don't worry. Trust God. Seek the kingdom. Good, those are good points. Except for, how about at 2 a.m. when all of the flood of worry comes in? Can you just be like, oh, don't worry. Oh, trust God. Yes, I know what to do, but I'm, I'm spiraling right now. You don't even know. 
And then it says stuff like, seek the kingdom. And that sounds really great, right? Like as believers, you know, this is super exciting. Like we want to seek the kingdom of God. Yes, amen. But you ever amen something and you have no idea what, it's, what you're saying? You're like, yes, amen, seek the kingdom. But th- sometimes we say things in Christian conversation like, like it's easy and we act like we know how to do it, but it's actually much more difficult than we make it out to be or we make our sermon points out to be. And so today, last week we talked about don't worry because we can trust in God. And this week we're gonna talk about seeking the kingdom. And so if you're taking notes, you can jump with me. And really the, the, it comes down to two questions. Two questions in this passage. What and how, right? So, so Jesus, you say, seek the kingdom. That's amazing. I love the kingdom. But what is it? Because I really want it. But I don't know what it is. And then the second thing is this. How? So once I know what it is, how do I actually seek the kingdom? And so let's, let's look at those two questions. And first, let's jump into some deep theology. Now, I need you to understand, the kingdom is one of the most fundamental theologies of Christianity. Understanding the kingdom of God is crucial to walking out our faith. And so theologians have been wrestling with this for centuries, just trying to figure out what is the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says something like, seek the kingdom, what does he actually mean? Because, and here's why it's so important. Because it's Jesus' number one message here on earth. There's nothing else he talks more about. His parables, primarily, about the kingdom. It is like the kingdom of God. This is like the kingdom of God. So this is a a foundational thing. So let's jump and see what the theologians say about it. One said this, it is the new world order in heaven and on earth produced by the revolutionary changes brought about in Jesus's fulfillment of the old covenant in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. You ever get a definition and you're like, whoa, I know less now (laughs) from the definition than I knew before. I thought I knew something, but then you defined it and now I'm totally lost. I mean, it's a really good definition and like when you read all this explanation, it's really cool, but sometimes the definitions just seem to be a little unhelpful. And so here's, here's a bit of a simpler definition. The kingdom of God is the spirit realm over which God reigns as king or the fulfillment on earth of God's will. It's helpful, but it still seems to like fall short. Another one says this, that God's, it's simply this, God's creation healed. I mean, that's, that's a bit, three words is good for me. I like a definition of three words. That's, that's helpful but it still seems to be a little bit short. So I'm gonna give us three aspects of what the kingdom is. Again, we're gonna answer the two questions, what and how. So what is the kingdom first? It's the reign of God. Now all the Pentecostals in the house are like, yes, reign, pour on me. No, we're not talking that kind of reign. I love the reign of the Holy Spirit, but we're actually talking about the reign of God, which is R-E-I-G-N the reign of a king. Now think of it in earthly terms. 
You think about the empire of Britain. It was a powerful empire. It was about space. It was about the people. You think of the empire of Rome. Again, it was about the space that it controlled and the people that were a part of it. But when we're talking about the kingdom of God and the reign of God, we're not actually just talking about a space, a geographical area and the people group. It's actually much more than that. And to better understand it, we've got to look at scripture. And scripture says this. So if you want to turn with me to Psalms 103.19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And hear this. And his kingdom rules over all. Pastor says, a pastor writes this, John Piper, he says, you can hear the basic meaning of the word kingdom as rule. It, isn't, it doesn't mean that his kingdom rules over his realm. What it means is that God's reign or rule governs all things. He sits as king on his throne of the universe and his kingly rule his kingdom and his reign governs all, all things. It's helpful to simply think of it like this. It is the kingdom rule, it is the king's rule or reign, his action, his lordship, and his governance. Simply it's this. The Bible tells us that God is actually over all things. So it's not just his people, it's not just his space, it's actually all things that he is over. So we looked at it's his, his reign, but let's take it a little bit deeper and jump in to a deep theological phrase that's called already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. Now, modern day Christians aren't so good at, at this concept. We think of one or the other. We think of like, heaven fully coming on earth and it's, it's fully here, except we look around and we kind of know that's not true. Or we think of it like this. You know, I get saved and then just hang on for dear life and just, you got your ticket to heaven? Until then, it's gonna be really bad. By the way, you have to read your Bible plan and attend church, but it's worth it in the end. It's worth it, Right? Those, but that's not, that's not actually what the Bible teaches. It teaches us this, that it's, that it's already here and not yet. Okay, so it's clear that God's kingdom is heaven. It's perfection. He rules over it with perfection. No one challenges him. He is absolutely on top of everything in heaven and it is perfect. Okay? We look at earth and we're like, nah, he must not be in control here because it doesn't look like that. No, here's what we need to see. Jesus, when he comes to earth, he brings heaven and invades earth. And he begins to release heaven on earth. This is the point. Look throughout, even, even just the next couple of verses here, in, in, uh, or next couple of chapters, nine and 10, he actually does all these miracles to prove that he is bringing heaven to earth. Again, remember that definition. It's God's creation healed. Well, what does Jesus do? 
He heals the full man. He heals the outside. He heals the brokenness. But he also stops when that person gets, gets lowered into the building that he's in, the house that he's in, he stops. And he doesn't just say, get up and walk. He actually speaks to a deeper issue, says your sins are forgiven. Jesus, he is releasing the kingdom on earth. And then here's the coolest part. He actually allows us, he invites us to release the kingdom through us. This is why he teaches his disciples and us to pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. See, there's, there's something we can't quite comprehend because it's beyond us. Is the kingdom fully here? Yes, but no. What, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. But that's, that's the way we understand it, that, that the kingdom of God is here. There is no doubt that when Jesus comes, he releases the kingdom in people's lives. And the disciples then go out after the great commission and they go out and they heal people and release the kingdom. People are saved. There is proof of the kingdom being alive because you're standing here because the kingdom came in your life. And so we have to live in this tension that is, that it's, it's here, but it's fully not here. But the promise is, just like we read in Revelations, the promise is that Jesus, he will come and he will reign and it will be perfect. And until then, you know what our role is? To walk the kingdom out and to take it with us. So, We've got those two points. And then finally, and probably the most important is this. The kingdom is Jesus. Look, we've looked into theological understanding, but the most important thing, even if we talk about it in physical terms, let's just talk about it in regards to earthly terms. The best way to understand a kingdom is to understand the king or the leader and you understand its kingdom. Well, how much more true in the kingdom of God where its king is perfect? And look what Paul said about its king. Not only is it just a king like an earthly king that he, you know, defines the politics, picks the leaders, decides what wars they go to. No, 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 no. This is what Paul says about our king, the king of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. He says this in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. He says, for through him, God created everything. He's speaking about Jesus. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen realm. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And here's the big important one. He holds all creation together. Jesus is the king he is the centermost important part of our Christian belief. Jesus is the king. And when we try to understand the kingdom of God, we've got to first and most importantly, not focus on all these theolo theologies, but we've got to dive in and just look at Jesus. And Jesus actually proves this point about himself 
in Matthew 13, 44. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. What is he talking about? What's the kingdom in this? In this? He is. He's the thing we sell it all for and we search after. It's him. It's not the promise of eternity. It's him. He's, he's the promise of eternity that comes and he gives us everything we need. It's Jesus. Jesus is everything. He holds it all together. So when we want to understand the kingdom and we talk about the what, it is a deep dive and you can get books upon books upon books on theology of it. But at the core of what it is, it is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And if we talk about, let's quickly switch. Let's quickly switch into now the how. So we've talked about the what. But the how, how do we seek it? Well, if we talk about it as it's Jesus, well, it becomes a little bit easier. So if you want to seek the kingdom, let's seek the king. Right? Let's seek the king. Let's actually know what he's like. But again, don't we fall into this same thing that I'm talking about that, that we do in, in preacher talk or Christianity? We just say things that sound really good and then we leave and go, yeah, I want to seek the king. What does that look like? I'm just going to have coffee with Jesus. Let's go to Starbucks and just sit there. and Hey, Jesus. People are like, I, went, I, went, I went, once went to a Starbucks in L.A., and the, there was a guy there that told me he was Jesus. That was interesting. But right, like, like when I tell you to grow in your relationship with your spouse or your friend or, or the people around you, those are tangible things that we understand, and we're like, okay, so I need to be kind to the person when they do this or when they do that, or I understand my relationship. I should try it. But when we talk about a relationship with with Jesus, sometimes it's abstract, right? Because we don't get to just hold hands or sit across from him. It, it, it seems strange to sit across from an empty chair. Or maybe that's just me. I've tried it. Like people are like, just sit across from an empty chair. I'm like, I'm like it's empty. I love you, Jesus. Are you in the chair? Right? Like maybe that's just me. And so what does it mean to seek the king? So I'm going to give you three more things it means to seek the king. These are steps to meaning to what we seek the king or seek the kingdom. The first is this, repent. So here's the scene. Jesus comes up to John the Baptist, says, I have to be baptized. He gets baptized. It says that like a dove, the Holy Spirit comes down and God speaks over him. At that moment, it says the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights, he fasts. We walk, he walks into his ministry. The first thing he says is this. Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's be honest, right? 
Repentance is not like a really exciting churchy thing that we do all the time. We don't really like it, right? Like it's a little bit awkward. We don't, I don't know about you, but I don't like when people call me out. Like I even invite my wife to be like, hey, if I'm doing this, just tell me about it. And then she does, I'm like, hey, what the, why would you do that? Like you don't have the right to do that. You asked me to. True, true. But just don't do it publicly or like to me. Just like write me a note or something. Right? A card, yeah. Jesus is clear. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, the first step is repentance. We live in a world that loves sin, right? A world that promotes sin, that is entertained by sin, that is offended by your standards against sin, right? And the church, we get jacked up about that and we're like, yeah, look at the world, so bad. Let's say the, the issue is not with the sin outside of these walls. The issue is with our compromise of sin inside these walls. And if I'm honest, the issue isn't outside of me. It isn't your acceptance of sin. It's my compromise to sin. See, if we want to see the kingdom of God come, if we want to seek his kingdom, we have to repent. Repent of the sin that we hide. Repent of the sin that we are so comfortable with or entertained by. The things we listen to or watch on TV or the actions we do and we think are okay because we justify them based on our philosophy. The truth is this is that Jesus says repentance is how you begin to seek the kingdom of God. And can I invite you into something? It's, it's not, repentance is not a one-time raising of my hand that I pray one prayer and I'm, I've, I've given it all. Actually, do you know that the Holy Spirit continuously works on us and draws things out in us? And, and he gives a picture of this, like gold refined in the fire. It actually brings up, the more the temperature is heated up, heated up, heated up, it brings up more of the junk and it needs to be taken away. Let me tell you this, what I thought as an 18 year old it meant to serve Jesus and be purified and to be repentant of, the temperature has just been turned up in my life and he keeps on bringing these things to the surface that need to be repented of and repented of in a sense of this not ah, I did something bad God <laughs> nuts no 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 we need to take sin incredibly serious Jesus left perfection to walk on this earth so that he might die on the cross because sin was not just a small issue. It wasn't a medium issue. It was a death issue that he could only solve. So if there is sin in your life, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to turn up the heat, pull out the things that are not good and skim them away so that we can be refined by him. And can I, can I actually just say something? In our, in our church world, in, in the modern church, we need to understand the difference between condemnation and shame and conviction. 
Hear this. We don't like conviction because it convicts us and we feel uncomfortable. And in our culture, we're told that we should not be made to feel uncomfortable. Look at the Bible. The Bible does not say this stuff. It actually calls us to be uncomfortable. It's actually, when you answer the call of faith, it's a call to be uncomfortable. You cannot read a story in this book and tell me that they were ever comfortable. Jesus is inviting us to be uncomfortable because when we're uncomfortable, we step out in faith and we trust him more. We don't depend on ourselves. We depend on Jesus. And that's the point of serving Jesus. But we desperately need to be a church that welcomes the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it doesn't feel good. It hurts. But the point of it is this, is to turn us to repentance so that we fall to our knees and we say, Jesus, strip this stuff away from me. I don't want to be in compromise because I want to walk in your kingdom and release your kingdom. I want to see my friends saved, my family saved, everyone around me saved. And only I can do that when you are working through me. And the problem with the church today is that we are so comfortable with sin. All we're doing is this cycle where we come to church, we repent of our sins, we go back to our sin, we come back, and that's not real repentance. Repentance, it says as a definition, when you look into the root word, it says a changing of the mind. It's a change that happens deep inside of us. It's not something that we conjure up just to be. Like we just have to be better. Like just be better. Be a better person. That's what we've been preaching in church and it hasn't worked. You're not to be a better person. You're to be a person that falls on their face before Jesus. He changes your heart and you somehow turn around and say, hey, I'm a different person. Because Jesus is the one that works in us and he turns up the heat and the conviction comes in. See, here's an easy way to know the conviction compared to the condemnation. Here's what condemnation does. It does what it did to Adam and Eve. It makes them run and hide from God. Conviction makes us run to God, fall to our knees and say, I need you, Jesus, change me. We desperately need that in our church. Second thing is this, receive. In John 1, 15, Jesus actually pairs these two things up. It says, the time promised by God had come at last. He announced, the kingdom is near. Repent of your sins. So again, we cannot, we cannot cut off repentance. We can't just say, hey, admit you did bad things and you're fine. I did bad things, cool. No, that's not enough. The point of it is this, he's saying, say you did, you did sin, you are in sin, and then believe. Believe the gospel, believe the good news. What is the good news? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, he came to earth, he died on the cross because we were sin. Because we, we couldn't do this for ourselves. He came, set us free. So how do you, what do you receive? You receive two things. One, you receive him as savior. And here's the truth, right? We all love, everybody loves a savior. You know, you're, you're terrible, you're broken, you're broke, you're in big trouble, 
and someone shows up and saves you. I mean, everybody loves that. That's why I like when you see the big Marine movies, like with like the Marine Corps, when they show up, when you're in America, I've been in America a couple of times watching movies like that, the, the, whole st- the whole stadium, the whole theater is like, yeah, come on. Like they cheer for their Marines to show up. We love saviors and, and the world is okay with Jesus being savior. And we need him to be savior. Don't get me wrong. We need a savior. We are sin. He's our righteousness. We need that. The harder thing is that we need him to be Lord. And that's not as comfortable. Because here's the difference. A savior, well, I call him in when I think things are bad. So when I cross the line of something that I consider to be bad or evil, then I call my savior in and he, I define what's bad and I call him. The difference between Lord and Savior is he defines when we need him. And the difference is is vast. And we need, we need to receive him, not as our Savior who just forgives our sins because man, my sins are great, but my Jesus, he's greater. But we need him to be Lord. And the truth is this, is that even on our best day, we make a huge mess of our lives. (laughs) So it's much better to have the perfect one, the king of kings, being the leader of our lives and leading us. And then finally, it's this one. It's release. I've already alluded to it. We need to release the kingdom. John the Baptist is in jail and he's questioning everything that he's done and he's questioning if Jesus was the one that he was supposed to anoint and so he sends his disciples to see Jesus. And they they go and they say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? John sent us here. And he says, here's what you need to tell him. You need to say, the blind see, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. See, Jesus came teaching, preaching, and releasing the kingdom. The cool thing is, is that it didn't just stop with him, right? Because if it's just him, then it's like, yeah, Jesus is the man. We love him. But it's actually, you look at the gospels and onward, He then sends out his disciples. He then, in the Great Commission, sends all of his disciples, his followers, out and say, do what I did. Go make disciples. And how do we do that? We release the kingdom through us. We release the kingdom through us. So what does that look like? It looks like being kind to people. Well, no, that's a little bit. No, no, no. It's simple as that. Be kind to people. But don't just stop there. It means sharing the gospel with people. It means actually believing that if you pray for somebody, they might get healed. Because the kingdom is already, right? The kingdom is already. We can believe for healings. We can believe for transformation. We can believe for our loved ones who are far from God and seem like it's never gonna happen. See, we can believe that the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God does the impossible because Jesus does the impossible. Stand with me. We're gonna close.
Paul writes this. He says, he's, te- he's speaking to a church, man, a messed up church. I love how we like, we point the finger at culture and say like, oh my goodness, culture is so bad. It's so much more sinful than it ever has been. Man, if you study history, the Roman people, they were, they were some terrible, terrible sinners. You look, at, you look, study Corinthians. Corinthians was actually a really, really sinful and broken society. Study the book of Daniel and look at Nebuchadnezzar. He was a terrible king and they were a sinful people. The issue isn't culture. It's about the church, what we're called to. And here's what Paul says we're called to in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled with God. Do you know that's interesting? And I've said this before, but I love the imagery so much. Ambassadors actually live in other countries than their own. They have citizenship of their own country, but they live in another country and they represent the country that they are from. And you know that everywhere that ambassador steps is actually their home soil? This is the image that God gives us. Paul says, you're the ambassador. So where you step is the kingdom of God. It's not Canada. It's not America. It's not wherever you're going. It's actually the kingdom of God. And you're the one who brings the kingdom to others. And you can invite them into the kingdom so that they can be ambassadors as well. This is amazing. This is the kingdom of God, what we're invited into. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.